Hello, and welcome to episode 170 of the Cognicast, a podcast about software and the people who create it. I'm Robert Randolph. This week, I talked to Mikhail Borkent about Babashka, Psy, CLJ Condo, Joyride, and generally developing software. Sit back and open your ears, your heart, and your mind to me and Mikhail Borkent on episode 170 of the Cognicast. Hello, I'm here with Mikhail Borkent, I believe. Did I pronounce that close to correct? Yeah, that's close enough. Close enough. Listening to this podcast knows you as Bork Dude. How are you doing today? How's it going? It's going great. It's a nice weather here in the Netherlands and closure all day long. So <laughs> my day is good. And how about you? Oh, I'm doing good. Yeah. So what did you, what'd you do? What did I do? I, I worked on an issue in SEI, Closure Interpreter, pretty much all day. It was an issue that was fairly probably niche in that probably not a lot of people would have noticed this bug, but SEI has, it tries to implement Closure inside of Closure, but using an interpreter. So it, it has its own implementation of records. And there was a bug with, with records that I, that I tried to fix today. Because if you defined a, a record type A and a record type B, and they, they would have the same keys and values, then they would be equal, which is not correct. Was that so a bug that, was, that you found or noticed? Or was that something that somebody reported on no, GitHub? No, that was, was reported because I, I tried to make Psy compatible with the schema, schema uh, from Prismatic Schema. Mm-hmm. And and they they're using a record to represent some concepts, and this failed their tests. That, that's how somebody else found it. <laughs> so I mean, on that topic, you're a fairly prolific closure developer. When you start looking down through your GitHub issues, how, how do you pick which one to choose? Like, why did you end up looking at this today? Ah, that's a good question, actually. I, I do have a, a giant to-do list of everything that I s- should still look at, but I, I try to prioritize correctness bugs, and this is a correctness bug. That's what I'm going to do first. And also, I usually prioritize pull requests because I don't like that people are waiting. So they've put in some work, and then I don't want them to wait for a few weeks before I I reply to that. So if correctness bugs and and pull requests are covered, then I usually start working on on something new, but that's how I usually do it. Do you have a list of ideas that you keep of new stuff that you wanna work on? Or is this just come up as you go? I do have a list of issues that I want to work on, but for new ideas, I usually don't keep, keep lists. The only thing I have is GitHub issues, basically. Mm-hmm. And I, I do keep notes of interesting things that I might look at for inspiration. But I don't have very detailed plans, like this is what I'm going to do in two months' time or something. H- have you ever worked that way with like a distinct roadmap? No. Okay. I, I, was, <laughs> I was curious if that was something that ever, you know, bit you in the past and you decided, you know, I'm never going to work that way again or, or something along those lines. It's usually, usually I get triggered into working on something if people repeatedly talk about it or ask 
for it. So sometimes there is a theme, like in some weeks, some topic comes up a couple of times. For example, last week I had some things around printing, printing of records that, that came up a couple of times. And I ended up covering three issues with one change or something, just because that was the week where, where that theme <laughs> became dominating. I, I, I work fairly improvised, I would say. Mm -hmm. You mentioned you heard records being mentioned in various ways. What are those channels that you take in? Like, is that mostly GitHub issues, Slack, Twitter, other places? It's, it's mostly Slack and GitHub issues. And I would say mostly Slack even. Yeah. So walk me through, like you wake up in the morning and you know, you're ready to start doing some dev work. What's the first thing you think about? What's the first thing you're like, this is how I'm going to start my day? Well, I try to work on something fun first, usually. But every day is a little bit different. And it also depends on how I feel. So if I don't feel very energetic or something, then I might do something boring, which doesn't require a lot of brain energy. But if I do feel energetic then I, and I feel in the, in the mood of tackling like a more difficult topic, then I might pick a, a more challenging thing. Yeah, it's, it's different every day, I would say. Yeah. How often does your work carry over from day to day? Like you have to stop the day working on an issue and then you start yeah. the next day. And how do you handle that transition you know, between stopping and having to pick up again and load context the next day? I don't have real issues with that. I usually just push my work to a branch and then pick up the next day. And there are issues that, that take... So most things, I, I would say, take maybe uh, a week or so at the longest. But sometimes I do have issues which take longer, like maybe two months. But then I'm usually focused on that for the part of the week that I'm not spending on urgent bugs or like pull requests things then i i will spend my entire time on the on that topic mm -hmm. and then you can get really deep into one topic is, is there a specific topic you can think of that you worked on in a project recently that took you yeah. a long time yeah so there was also in in sci actually so sci is is a closure interpreter and it's used to power various projects that i've made so one project is called Babeshka, which is a scripting utility for a closure. So one aspect of this interpreter is performance. And why is there even an interpreter, you could ask, because we have closure and closure is a compiled language. And well, with a compiler, you try to, to emit the most performant bytecode or whatever your target is as possible. So why, why is there an interpreter, you might ask? So this has to do with some restrictions of environments. And for a couple of years, I've been playing around with GraalVM. It's an alternative JVM implementation, which also has a tool to compile your Java project to a binary, standalone binary that you can run with without having to have a JVM around after you emit that, that binary. I wanted to see if I could make closure work closure evaluation work within such a binary, because then you would have a very fast startup, like milliseconds, and you could still have the expressivity of closure. And I was interested in making like a subset of closure work in, in such an environment to replace bash scripting or whatever scripting is being used in the environment of, say, managing projects 
moving files around. Usually this is done with Bash and Bash is, well, it's, it's starts fast and it uses little resources. It, it, it doesn't use a ton of uh, memory. So I wanted to, to make something that replaced Bash using Clojure. But one restriction in, in such a Graal VM binary is that you cannot do any bytecode. Well, you cannot emit any new bytecode and execute that because there is no JVM around anymore. So it's all been translated already to machine code. So that's where I came up with the idea for an interpreter. And that is what Psy became. So initially, it started with a very small subset of closure, only functions and no macros and no namespaces. But eventually, it grew and grew. And now it covers a large subset of closure. So that, to give a little bit of context of, of what it is. So Psy, it's the interpreter that is used in Babeshka, and Babeshka is the the concrete products around this interpreter, because this interpreter is very configurable. You can include libraries from the Clojure ecosystem and have them as a built-in in this binaries. But Psy is more general than only this use case. It, you can also use it on the JVM to run Clojure in a sandbox, because Psy is designed in such a way that it does not mutate the global Clojure runtime. So if you define functions and macros and, and whatnot inside a Psi expression and you evaluate that in a context, then it does not create any global VARs in your closure runtime, for example. And you can also restrict what your program can access. So you cannot, by accident, call system exit or something. So that's a little bit of background. So the issue that, that I worked on for a, for a longer time this year was to try to improve performance around resolving locals or setting and, and reading locals. So local is, let's say you have let x1, and then in another expression, you look up x again. Before this was implemented using uh, a hash map or hash maps. So if you had let x1, then you had a, a hash map where x, the symbol x was inserted with the value one, and then deeper down, you could just look up X from, from this map, and then you had the value one. And that works, and it's fast enough for, for most use cases. But if you have a loop with a million iterations, or 10 million or so, it took one or two seconds. I don't remember exactly. And for a while, I, I had the idea to use arrays for this instead of hash maps. But this had one disadvantage that Arrays are mutable, and so you have to be very careful. And also, you cannot grow arrays. So you have to, like, in advance, know how many locals there will be and allocate an array for that, and then do the right thing at the right time, set the value and read the value from this stuff. So that took me a couple of weeks to, to migrate from this immutable hash map approach to, to the array approach. But the speed up was significant. I think it was like four or five times faster. That was a more challenging issue. So when you were talking about how Psy came to be, did you originally have in mind something like Babashka? Is that why you started yeah. with Psy? Yeah, that was actually the first reason why I wrote, wrote Psy. So first it was a monolithic project. And then I realized, well, if I pull this out, then 
other people can make something like Babeshka, but with a different set of libraries, for example. And I also, when I pulled it out, I also realized that, well, I could do this in Closure JVM, but I can also do this in Closure Script. So Sai is also able to execute Closure Script expressions, but also in a sandbox. And one of the benefits of that is that you can advance compile Sai. So the ClojureScript compiler has a few, couple of options to emit advanced compiled JavaScript, which is uh, adv advanced compiled by the Google Clojure compiler. And it, it does uh, tree shaking and renaming and stuff like that to make the JavaScript bundle very small. So Sai can be used with advanced compilation. So you can compile existing ClojureScript libraries along with Sai, and then have an environment in which you can call those libraries. So that came after I started Babeshka that, and when I pulled the interpreter out as its own library. With Sai, what's the most interesting thing you've seen somebody else do with it? Or, or maybe not even the most interesting, but the funniest thing or the thing that made you think, oh, wow, I never thought that it could be used like that. Yeah, that's a great question. So on the Sci README, there is a list of projects that are using Sci, And so there is, let's see. So one soon after I made Babeshka, one project came into existence called Spire, which is a tool to provision servers using Clojure. So you can say, connect to these machines via SSH. And then execute this and then execute that or take care that this package will be installed kind of like Ansible, but then for closure, let's say. So this was probably one of the first projects after Babeshka was made that really took advantage of Sai. There is also a Postgres migration tool which compiles an existing closure or a SQL migration tool to, to execute to set up uh, database tables and they used Sci to, so you could, could do that from the command line and using scripts. These are a couple of examples. I used Sci myself in a tool called Jet, which is a command line tool to convert between JSON, Eden and Transit. Mm -hmm. And there you can specify on the command line a function to transform this data structure. So with JQ for JSON, you, you have to learn some DSL, right? To mm -hmm. say like, oh yeah, I want the key A and then I want uh, the first element of this array and then I want to do this and then I want to reverse this string or something, I don't know. Uh, but with JET, you can just write a closure function and then without learning a DSL. So that that's one of the, one of the goals. I want to use closure in places where that makes sense without learning another new tool, basically, like a new syntax or a new language. Yeah, I, I've used Jet. It keeps me sane. I would go crazy without it. I've used JQ plenty and I think I've spent more time reading documentation about JQ than actually using the thing. But Jet, it's just super easy. Like I instantly know exactly what I'm going to do. Oh, yeah. And this the same author of Spire also made a tool called uh, Bootleg, mm -hmm. which is a command line tool to make static websites. And he included a lot of libraries like JSoup and Hickory and Markdown libraries and stuff like this. 
So he could make his own website. While he was working on Spire, he wanted to make a website for that. So he made another tool, uh, especially for that, <laughs> also using Sci. And there are a couple of websites, like there is Forever Closure, which runs Sci in the browser, where you can do for foreclosure exercises because this website doesn't, or the, the previous foreclosure exercise uh, website didn't run anymore. The original author took it down. And mm -hmm. now we have a static website where you can still do those exercises, but within the browser. Yeah, that's, that's quite cool. Yeah, I remember doing foreclosure a long time ago. That was fun. You have CLJ Condo that you did as well, which I think most people who write closure have used at this point. Either they realize it or they don't. <laughs> so how did that how did that grow out? Was like you were already working on these other tools and you thought there's not a good linter. I need something in my editor. <laughs> it was actually the other way around because the idea of Sai actually came after CLJ Condo. And so how I, I started working on CLD Condo was there was another tool. I started working on that in 2019. And around that time, there was a tool called Joker, which is, still exists, which is a closure interpreter and linter built in Golang. And it was, I, I found it very useful in my Emacs. What was nice about it is that if you enabled it via flight check, which is like a tool in Emacs, which gives you feedback while it calls some, some other tool on your system. And so you could use Joker via flight check and then Joker would tell you, well, you have a, defined a function here with one argument, but later on you're calling it with two arguments and simple things like that. But soon I found myself wanting more because one of the things that Joker didn't have was, so if I defined a function in namespace A and use it from B, then it would not recognize that, that I had the wrong arity, for example. I, I considered contr contributing to, to Joker, but I did not want to learn Golang or I wasn't motivated enough to dig into this Golang code base. This was in the back of my mind for a while. And I even considered doing something in Haskell because Haskell also had, you could produce from Haskell also binaries that were fast to start. So this was, was what Joker essentially was. It was a fast starting binary that you could use for linting and interpretation of closure. And GraalVM around that time, when I started thinking about it, wasn't that mature and it wasn't even on my radar then. So I played around with Haskell like just for fun and learning. And, and I noticed that you could actually build small command line applications with it, which I found pretty cool. And so then I started thinking, should I do this in Haskell? But I think it has a, a huge benefit if you build tools for a language in that language, because then you get to reuse a ton of tooling that's built for and, and inside that language. I, I was having the thought, but I didn't do anything with it for a year or so. And in 2019, March, I just rediscovered GraalVM because I, I had used it before, but not seriously. But then I thought, well, what if I can discover some silly things that I do during my day job before I check in this code? What if I made a tool that could discover these things? Like what I sometimes do is define a var within a function just to capture a value and then inspect it in the REPL. But 
I don't want to check that into source control. So what if I can build a tool that, that tells me, hey, here's an inline dev, that's how I call it. I, I tried out a couple of things. I tried out a tools analyzer, but I could not get that to work with GraalVM at the time. And then I found a tool called Rewrite CLJ, which is a library to parse closure, but it parses every token or how do you say it? Every node, it parses in, into its own data structure. So normally when you parse a number, for example, in closure, you just get a number and you cannot attach any information about on this thing. But rewrite CLJ creates a data structure, and so it has the value number of or value one. But here's here's also the line number and the and the, and the column number, and you get essentially more richer structure. And I also discovered that this tool worked great with GraalVM because one of the the issues with Tools Analyzer was that potentially can do evaluation when you expand macros. And so GraalVM at the time would would say, I cannot do this, here is an exception. But Rewrite CLJ doesn't try to evaluate anything. So it even relies only on Tools Reader Eden for parsing. And that was a library that I found that worked great. So then I wrote a little the smallest tool possible to discover this inline dev in a very naive way, probably. But it worked. And then I had a binary that I could hook up to FlyCheck, and it, and it did something that Joker did not do. And so I had a, a tool, and I started focusing on, on features that were not available yet in this other tool, so I could run them side by side. And... I shared it on Twitter and some people thought it was cool and they wanted to have an Emacs package on on Melpa. And the ball started rolling and I started adding more and more features. And within a couple of months, uh, it could do probably everything that, that Joker could do and more. For example, it sees the relations between namespaces and it does so by keeping a directory around with transit files that contains the analysis of all the namespaces. And then it looks up things at the right time to, to see if you're using functions correctly. Yeah, that's how that started. When you started using this, out of curiosity, you were using Emacs. Were you using uh, any of the larger packages like a CIDR that already had maybe some static analysis like naively built in, or were you using something else? Well, CIDR doesn't have that much of an aesthetic analysis built in. But I do use CIDR for my daily work. But what I liked about Joker is that you could just throw closure code at it, and then it would say something about it without any process running. And that's what I wanted to have with Sylvia Condo as well, but not like exclusively static analysis versus the REPL. I always have envisioned it as doing both at the same time. So how I see CLJ Condo is that it optimizes the time between when you type the code and when you evaluate the code in your REPL. If CLJ Condo can tell you, well, there's something wrong here, you don't even have to evaluate it. So then you can use the REPL for more interesting things mm -hmm. uh, than typos and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I do use CIDR. Probably I, I only use 10% of what it offers, but... <laughs> I have a very uh, basic usage. Yeah, I think everybody probably picks their subset of their environment that they 
like and uses that. Has there been any times when you've been using CLJ Condo where you've caught a bug before you may have realized that it was a bug and you wouldn't have caught it without CLJ Condo? Can you think of yeah. a specific instance of that? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it probably happens to me every day. <laughs> yeah. But to have a specific instance, well, yeah, I, I, it usually happens when I refactor, like, yeah, not so long ago, I had a macro that took two arguments or it took, it was a multi-arity macro. And so it took one argument and then it called itself with another nil argument as the second argument, which the second argument would be some options. But for some reason, this didn't work in uh, self-hosted closure script. So I tried to make Psy work in self-hosted closure script. And for some reason that didn't work. So I decided to remove, it didn't work because of the multi-arity. There was some issue with that. So I decided to remove the first arity. And yeah, then I saw a lot of things in my code base that I should refactor that I probably would have missed when I executed this in the REPL. Mm -hmm. And this, yeah, this happens probably every day, a couple of times <laughs> that I have such things. Yeah, I also keep hearing user experiences like Sean Carfield recently gave a shout out to, to CLD Condo that he was using, he was calling nth or something with nil somewhere. And then Condo said, hey, this should be a number. And so this saved him a lot of time. Th these are small examples that, yeah, happen all the time. Yeah, it's, it certainly saved me a lot of time. I can think of one particular time when I would have made an error in production instead of staging where I thought I was just because I had typed a... Uh, a somewhat cryptic name incorrectly. And CLJ Condo was like, mm, I don't, that's not what you mean in this namespace. You're trying to use something else. And I was like, oh, yeah. whoops, I'm in the wrong namespace. This is no good. Yeah. yeah. And then it's startling. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? Yeah. One example, actually, that, that comes to mind now, now I think about it, is when I just started using CLJ Condo, I, I also gave a presentation about it on, on Closure Tre in th 2019 when we still have the conferences. And now we do again, luckily. And there, uh, in my slides, I, I had an example that uh, I was still using uh, Boot for a project, doing closure projects. And in one file, somewhere in a closure file, I made a typo and I typed a Q or something because in Emacs, I, I typed some key binding, but I missed some, some mm -hmm. thing and there was a letter randomly. And when you would start the REPL with boot, then it would give a pages long exception about an unresolved character or unresolved symbol, but it would not tell you in which file. And then, yeah, with CLD Condo, when you invoke it on the, on the directory, it would be obvious like within seconds. But when I didn't have that tool, it took me probably half an hour to fi figure that out. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's recently... I can think of a time when I had a bug. All I got was a log with a with a stack trace. And I thought, there's no way I, I can't figure this out with just a stack trace. And I opened up Emacs and then CLJ Condo was like, hey, by the way, you missed this. <laughs> it's like, oh, awesome. I don't have to think today. It's fixed. CLJ Condo's picked up by the community very fast for great reasons. Babashka is also been you know just a big success what, what's it been like to watch it just blow up like that well i was very happy to see that it was 
picked out like that because else I probably wouldn't have spent so much time on it. <laughs> so the reason I spent so much time on it is actually because of this feedback. So it's it's a reinforcing experience. I love waking up every day and seeing questions on Slack and GitHub issues coming by from, from people and helping them. And it's really fantastic that it went this way. Yeah, I, I didn't expect that it would grow so so fast and that people embraced it enthusiastically. Yeah, I'm very happy. Was there a specific person or issue or contribution that was made uh, early on that made you just suddenly think, wow, there's really there's really something here. Like, I'm surprised people care about this this much. Like, was there like an early thing that hit you that way? Well, I think just just the number of there would not be a single day uh, going by that people would ask for new features or report issues or, or they would like to improve something themselves using a pull request or yeah it's it's not like one probably not one single thing with babashka you get a lot of batteries included you get a lot of libraries that come with it that you're just you're ready to go and start working how do you decide when something is appropriate versus yeah. when something is maybe not so appropriate to yeah. be included so yeah, that's a very good question. So I try to be a little bit conservative of what goes in as a built-in thing, because once it's in, I don't intend to remove it, like in the spirit of, of closure, not to break any existing programs. And also when you include more and more, the compilation times get higher. And I'm running Bebeshka on, on free CI instances still, but I've hit the limit before on... Uh, for example, on CircleCI, that only had four gigabytes of memory, and GraalVM is very memory hungry, so I, I couldn't compile Babeshka anymore at one point. And luckily, CircleCI helped me and increased, increased my memory limit. But then I really felt that, that I should be conservative with what goes into Babeshka. And the, the focus area is scripting. It's in the name Babeshka. In places where you, you would use Bash, you can now use Clojure. And so if a library goes into Babeshka, it should fit with that in mind. For example, Clojure Tools CLI is included to do some argument parsing. And so there is a JSON library included, Cheshire, to well, it's, there is a CSV library, Clojure Data CSV, although nowadays it shouldn't be necessary to have that as a built-in anymore because Babeshka could execute this from source. But back then, there, there might, be, might have been one or two things that made it impossible. But now I have the, the philosophy that if Babeshka is able to execute this library from source, so it doesn't have any constructs that side cannot execute, then we should probably wait with including it and you can just execute it from source because uh, Babeshka also has the ability to consume libraries from the ecosystem. So you can specify in a file called bbeden. It's similar to depseden. You can specify, oh, I want to use Matly with some utility functions or, or something. And there's even a library called, well, it's a part of Clojure spec. It's it's hosted under under the Babeshka GitHub organization. It only has one or two commits that make it compatible with Babeshka, and then you can run Clojure spec in Babeshka. So that's probably how I would like to continue. Although for Clojure spec, I would like to build it in eventually because 
it's so convenient to have Closure Spec built in. But I was actually hoping that Closure Spec 2 was around the corner. So I, I had a poll on, on GitHub, like, should we wait for Closure Spec 2 or should we include Closure Spec now? And a lot of people were like, yeah, let's, let's wait. But now we have a library in the meanwhile where we can still run Closure Spec, but from source. So it's, it's not yet built in. So there is a web server built in. So you can use it for statically hosting or hosting static files. And so anything that, that you would do like in the command line, quickly start a web server or, or quickly move some files around. So there is called Babashka FS which is a library around Java Neo file functions. And in Clojure, I found it hard to, to use Java Neo because of the arrays that you have to construct. And Abashka FS makes it very easy to, to use all those goodness uh, from Java Neo. And there is a library called Babashka Process, which you can use to launch processes, like shelling out to other programs. You could already do this using Closure Java Shell, but Closure Java Shell was a little bit limited that you could not, for example, see the output while the program was running. And Babeska process is asynchronous by default, so you can launch processes and then do something else and then wait for that process to end and then see the result, for example. It's built around Java Lang process builder. And these are the things that you would typically do in Bash to calling out to other things. So the collection of built-in libraries are included with scripting in mind. I know there's some differences with what's supported with Babashka, and I don't understand how this works particularly, but like there's no def type or or def interface and and records work slightly differently. Probably yeah. a couple other things. Has has there been libraries that you want to include that have been difficult or not possible because of those differences? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For example, what happens a lot when people use a dev type in Clojure is that they implement interfaces like Clojure Lang IFN or Clojure Lang iLookup or whatever. And so this is difficult to support in GraalVM with interpretation in a, a native binary because you cannot construct new Java classes in an ad hoc fashion. So everything is already emitted to machine code. There is no JVM. So you basically cannot invent new types, which is what def record and def type do. But what I did uh, with def record is I have one record that I construct at compile time. And this is the basis for all records in Psy. And they're all just using a regular hash map as the as the implementation. So it's not optimized or anything, but it still works like you would expect. And you can extend this record type to protocols that you create, but protocols are also emitting an interface, for example, in Clojure. And that's also not something that, that you normally can do in GraalVM native images at runtime. So I, I implemented it differently. So protocols under the hood in Psy are implemented using multi-methods. And what happens at runtime in the GraalVM binary when you execute def record and then extend it to some protocol is, so when you define this protocol, there is actually a multi-method in the background 
And when you extend the record to the protocol, there is just a def method happening basically for this record type, but it's not really a type. It's just a piece of information that is on this custom record base record type, just a custom field where I keep track of what type is this supposed to be, let's say. So that, that's those are different. Yeah, those are, are things I have to do because I cannot compile new Java types. And this goes a long way. So for example, this is why I can execute a lot of existing libraries without having to make any changes. But sometimes there is a problem. Like some people use closure lang ifn on a record, and then suddenly the record can be used as a function, right? But I could support this, but then I, I would have to pre-create a record that implements IFN. Or I could do this for all records, but then, then I would be lying because not all records implement IFN. So this is where the gray area begins. If you add Java interfaces to records or if you construct things with reify, for example, with more than one Java interface, then it's very difficult to support this because everything basically has to be known beforehand. I tried a couple of approaches like, oh, let's pre-generate every uh, permutation of every possible Java interface that I support in Babeshka. And then you end up with an explosion of types. And then this works, but the binary becomes very big because you, you have like thousands of extra types. And also the compile time goes up a lot. So what I've done as, as a compromise is you can use def record with protocols and you can use reify, but with a maximum of one Java interface. So I pre-generate one reify thing per Java interface. So these are yeah the difficult areas that, that usually cause the incompatibilities. Is there any specific library that you can think of offhand that has been problematic in this regard or something that you would like to include but haven't due to these differences? Yeah. Mm, well, a while ago, I, I think a couple of years ago, I tried to use Spectre, which is a library which some people have asked if, if it could be included in Babeshka. And I was a little bit on the fence because it's not that evidently used for scripting, I would say. So, so I, I wish I could execute that from source just because people uh, kept asking for it. But now we can actually execute it from source. There were a couple of these, couple of these things in Spectre that Sai could not support. But because Babeshka has reader conditional support. You could say, okay, for Babeshka, we don't support this IFN implementation on this record, for example. And then the rest of the library works without any problems. And yeah, so now we can run Spectre from source, but yeah. So if there was a library that I would really, really, really like to support, then I could have already included as that as a built-in library because li built-in libraries do not uh, have this restriction. You can just use anything in combination with size, just the interpreted part that, that has these limitations. So yeah, I don't really have uh, an example of this right now. I'm currently looking at, at schema.core because that's uh, 
sometimes used in a tra as a transitive dependency in some other library that I would like to use. So now we're close to, to supporting that, probably also with a minimal change using some reader conditionals. Yeah, so th that in the beginning of this, this podcast, I talked about this issue that I was working on today with some record stuff that, that had to be fixed. So that was specifically for uh, schema. So the more and more libraries we try to use with Babeshka, the more and more compatible Sai also gets because we discover some match cases. You've been working on uh, Joyride recently, right? Which brings like Emacs-like scripting to VS Code, but using Clojure instead of that ugly Elisp stuff that <laughs> nobody, I don't think anybody actually <laughs> writes, likes to write Elisp. I know I don't. I've written maybe 100,000 lines or more and I hate it. How, how did that come about? Like, where did the ideas for Joyride come from? And how did it get started? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was chatting with, with Peter, who was on this podcast not too long ago, the author of Calva, and also known as Pez. And I, I said to him, like, wouldn't it be cool if we could use Clojure to drive VS Code like you could you can do with Elisp in, in, in Emacs? And personally, I... I'd love to use Clojure instead of Elisp because I, I'm also not a big fan of Elisp. <laughs> and so then a few weeks ago, then we started working on this together. Like, I'm not sure, maybe Peter made a prototype and I, I gave him some ideas or the other, other way around. I'm not exactly sure how it, how it all started. But now it's possible to download Joyride as an extension and then have uh, scripts in your workspace to automate VS Code. For example, you could make it do, so insert some par edit or insert some things in your closure buffer using par edit commands, for example. And you can, you can basically do anything that VS Code allows you to do. So the, so the environment that VS Code runs in is, is Electron, and this is a Node.js process. So you can use any built-in Node.js library to do whatever, as long as the VS Code API supports it, let's say. So have you been using VS Code as an environment for any development yourself while you've been messing no, around with Joyride? Not really that much. I, I usually use VS Code when I need to develop an LSP server. And LSP is a language server protocol, which is a protocol defined by Microsoft that lets you talk between your editor and a language or a server that knows stuff about a language. It doesn't necessarily have to be a runtime for the language, but it, it's like a reusable tool that can statically analyze files in a certain language. And because the support of, of LSP in Visual Studio Code is so good. I, I usually use that to test my LSP code. So what I usually do is I develop the code in Emacs and then I test it in VS Code while the Emacs process and or my REPL is still running connected to Emacs. And then I can make changes in the Emacs REPL and then see what happens in VS Code when I start editing code because then my LSP server should give uh, feedback about that. Mm -hmm. And so this is how I've used VS Code, but also 
Yeah, for things like viewing markdown files and things like that, it's it's very convenient. It, it tries to do the right thing in a convenient way. So preview markdown, open a panel next to your file and then start typing. So that's how I sometimes use VS Code as well. But mostly I, I still use Emacs. But I think it's very cool what what Peter is doing and other or other team members of the Calva project because it I honestly think that VS Code is probably the best way to get started with Clojure because it's so easy. You just download it, you install Calva, and then you basically can get started without learning a ton of Elisp. <laughs> and so I want my tools also to to run well inside of VS Code, and that that's where I usually work together with people like Peter to to see if everything works correctly. So for example, CLG Condo is also used with Calva via Clojure LSP. And Clojure LSP is an LSP server for, for Clojure, but it's using CLG Condo as a built-in analysis tool and also a linter tool. So that's where I see a lot of VS Code usage. And sometimes I have to reproduce things like problems. And that's where I use VS Code myself. So one last question for you we're getting near our, our time here. I know you have a lot of other little projects that you work on and things you do. Is there a project, like a little pet project that you like to work on that's maybe not so popular? And which project is it and why? <laughs> yeah, what I would like to do is, I'm, I haven't really worked a lot on this yet, but there was a website a few years ago called uh, CrossSaleJ, which let you browse through closure dependencies and you could see which other project was using that dependency and then you could click on that and navigate basically through the the closure library ecosystem so sales condo is a static analyzer for closure and a linter but it provides all the static analysis for closure lsp also for example so it has a way to export this data and what i would like to do is make a giant database of the analysis of basically the entire closure ecosystem and then reconstruct something like this cross CLJ site, which gives you just information about how, how libraries are used and how they're connected to each other. But every time I work on this, then something else is more important and then I have to jump on something else. <laughs> what, so what, is the, I, what is the name I, of this project? It's, it doesn't have a name yet. Oh, I was hoping maybe somebody was listening and they would think, wow, I want to work on that with you. Well, I would love someone to to take this idea and then I, someone else lead this project while I just give like advice on how to use Sales Condo or something that, that would be okay with me. All right. I've appreciated you taking the time out uh, of your day to chat with me. Is there anything you would like to say to our listeners before we depart? Well, the only thing I can say is a huge thank you to the Clojure community for supporting and using my projects because that's what I do most of the time now. And without the Clojure community, my projects would basically be, well, haven't gotten that, that far because my projects thrive because they're being used. And also thanks to the people and companies who are, are sponsoring my work on that, including Cognitech. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know we, we appreciate you here. Everybody in the Clojure community does. I think I speak on behalf of everybody to say thank you for your hard work. Look forward to seeing 
would you come up with next in the continued success of your amazing projects? So thank you again. You have a great day. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Your host this week was me, Robert Randolph, who is Admiral B on Twitter. That's A-D-M-I-R-A-L-B-E-E on Twitter. Episode cover art is by Russ Olson. Audio production is by Bear Cave Audio. The Cognicast is produced by Jarrett Benford and me, Robert Randolph. The intro music is Crazy G by Russ Olson. The outro music is by Nasca at nascamusic.com. Once again, I'm Robert Randolph. Please stay safe and healthy out there. And thanks for listening to the Cognicast. <laughs>